Welcome to Insights, practical startup advice from founders, leaders, and VCs in an easy-to-consume format. This podcast is created by Angular Ventures, a full-stack pre-A VC firm that backs early-stage enterprise and deep tech companies from Europe or Israel that are targeting global category leadership and emphasis on the U.S. market from day one. These podcasts are taped virtually with a live audience. To join an upcoming session or learn more about the firm and how we operate, find us at angularventures.com. Hi, everyone. Hi, Lee. Hi, Gil. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good. Uh, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. We're super excited to have you here. Of course. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And audience, welcome. This is our last Angular Insights for the year. We saved the best for last. Gil and I are thrilled to be joined by Lee Moore. She's the VP of Marketing at Sneak, and she'll be leading a chat on building your marketing engine and how to actually go about doing that. Lee, thank you so much for doing this. It's, it's a pleasure to meet you. Very excited to get this view into Sneak, which has really become you know, a seminal company. It's seminal for European Israeli startups. It's seminal for shift left, for developer tooling. So really excited to have this conversation. Just by way of introduction, Lee spent most of her career in B2B tech marketing, has built marketing teams and has built businesses from very early days, which is what, what she said at Sneak um, and a bunch of other SaaS companies, including Log Entries, AppNeta and ThreadStack. Log Entries, I believe, is Irish, right? It was originally Irish. So, yeah. so Sneak is your second sort of non-US company. Yeah. You're based in Boston, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I'm, I'm originally from Boston. And an interesting detail of your long track record is that you did have a stint at Sam Adams, right? I did. Right? You've yes. done your homework. Yeah. My research. <laughs> As a fellow Bostonian, that means something to me. I, I would love to know if there's any lessons you learned doing PR at Sam Adams that were relevant. I think that's a whole, uh, probably another uh, whole another podcast. But I learned it on there. In terms of Sneak, you were the first marketing leader hired into Sneak. There are apparently three people there when you showed up, but you were the first sort of team leader hired into Sneak and have helped grow that team from four marketers when you joined to over 80 people today, which is amazing. Overseeing demand, growth, community, developer relations, and content. You also have three boys at home. I have one little girl at home, so I can only imagine how hard three boys are. For those of you that don't know Sneak, the company was founded in 2015 in, in London and, and in Israel. So it's a, it was originally a UK HQ distributed company with most of the R&D in, in Israel. It was, I believe it was, it still is a UK top co, if I'm not mistaken. The company's raised over $1.4 billion, currently valued at over $8 billion. That's a public number. Revenues are undisclosed, but the company has talked about being used by over 2 million developers. Is that right? Something like that? I think we we reach millions I of see. developers through kind of all the repositories out there that are using Sync. So yeah, it's a, it, that's more of a reach number. Okay. Of like, yeah. Do you have a, a usage number that you publish, like number of customers or? We don't have one users? that we okay. carry that. Yeah. But it's it's a big number. And and, and I, th- I think it's also, as I've hinted, Sneak is a company that really, you know, pioneered the idea of that these, these the responsibility for the security of software products was something that was going to be handled or at least partially shared with the engineering team. I remember this vividly because I, I had the good fortune to be a tiny, tiny, tiny investor in, in Sneak's very first round and and had this my little sneak anecdote is that cobbled together 100K for the first round in my Angelist syndicate. I wrote the memo and the whole thing. A lot of people that I shared this with were not interested at all because like, oh, engineers are never going to do security. And these were smart, knowledgeable people. They're like, oh yeah, no, that's dumb. And then I then uh, the company came back for a second round very quickly thereafter at a slightly higher valuation. And my allocation was even smaller. I was only allowed to put in 90 
And I could only place 82 of it. And I'd already maxed out on what I could personally write. I went to my dad and I was like, dad, listen, nobody believes in this thing. But if you don't like, if you can't help me, if you can't spot me for like $5,000, like I'm not gonna be able to close this syndicate. I'm gonna lose the whole thing. So he was like, yeah, sure. It sounds okay. I trust you. You're my son. I love you. Here's $5,000. And I, I need to tell you what, what that $5,000 is worth today. But the, the point of this anecdote is that it was highly controversial at the beginning. And it was like far from obvious that this was gonna be the, the way the world works. And now when people talk about, there's a lot of startups that we meet that are, I'm shift left for this, I'm shift left for that. That yeah. whole concept has been, it's gotten way bigger than just security. So anyway, thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, so yeah. we have a few quick questions before we dive into the presentation. I think one, just for those who maybe aren't familiar with Sneak, could you give a little bit of an overview of what Sneak actually does? Sure. We have built a developer security platform. So we are integrating security into the existing developer workflows and tooling so that it really becomes an easy accessible and, and somewhat automated process to ensure that as development teams are building applications, security is already there. Whereas historically, you build an application, you push it to production, security comes back and says all the things that aren't working and all the vulnerabilities in them, it really creates this, this inefficiency and a lot more risk. So we're helping companies really scale, our customers scale their security programs by empowering the developers to play a really important role in securing application development. From, from a product point of view, what does that sort of consist of just at a high level so people get a sense of what you're actually Yeah, sure. Delivering? So the product really, I mean, it's focused on helping secure open source libraries, containers, infrastructures, code. And we recently launched a product called Sneak Code, which is, is the proprietary code that is kind of checking the code as it's being created and flagging where there's vulnerabilities and risk. Cool. And if we shift, shift gears a little bit, talk about like the marketing organization within Sneak, can you give us a sense of, of how that's structured? What are the different sort of subdivisions within marketing and how that's evolved over time? Sure. So from early days, I was lucky because Sneak invested in what we call developer relations and community. So I think for any company that's trying to reach and resonate with a developer audience, having a developer relations and advocacy team in place is, is critical. So that was early days. There was a developer advocacy group and they focused so much on the content and the events and the thought leadership and social work that pulled developers in organically. But at the same time, we stood up some of the more traditional marketing teams that help with programming and scale and operations and analytics. So Today, the team has really grown into some core groups focused on demand marketing, product marketing, operations. DevRel and community is still a very big, important part of the team. We have a growth marketing team that specifically focuses on the product-led bottom-up growth motion and all the work that goes into that. Content marketing, communications, which includes PR and analyst relations. And then we have a creative group focused on web and design and brand. That sounds about eight teams. Probably right around there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and specifically on, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't ask you for all of them, but it'd be interesting to get your take on what are some of the KPIs that, that these teams are measured on, particularly from the perspective of an early stage founder who probably has to do all of this stuff herself. Yep. What are some of the KPIs that you guys have found are helpful for these different kinds of functions? 
Yeah. I mean, I think if we go back to the beginning, I think first saying, what is the journey that we want our potential users to be taking? And what do we know are the key stages that they will go through? And then what are the metrics to say that that kind of that's working? So at the very top, website traffic from the beginning is an indicator that people are aware of you, that they've heard about you, that they want to learn more about you and that they're coming to your website. So that's a very basic one that we started measuring from the beginning and today is absolutely just as important as it ever was. And then there is this next step in the journey, which is around engagement. Are they reading our content? Can we track that? Are they opening our emails? Can we track that? Are they interacting with us on social? Can we track that? And then lead gen. So are they actually saying they want to talk to us or want to interact with us or want to, want to try our product? So that's an acquisition KPI. But I would say at the end of the day, one of the metrics that we have been focused on throughout is pipeline generation. So these are all the steps in the process, but to what end? And for us, that's around, well, did, it, did we generate a certain number of leads, quality leads that converted to opportunities that actually got passed and qualified by the sales team? And so tying us to the revenue, the pipeline and revenue numbers was important to me and something that I focused on then. And today really allows us to partner with sales and kind of approach it together rather than it, it becoming a disconnected effort. On the product-led growth side, though, number of users that are registering for the product is the number one metric. And again, that is awareness, that's acquisition, that's engagement, that's all of those things tied into one, which is that they actually want to try the product. And if someone wants to try our product, like that's the win. So that's a key metric from the beginning as well. We might have time later on to talk about sort of PQLs and MQLs and SQLs and how you guys think about yeah. that. On the organizational side, uh, set of curiosity, who owns strategic marketing? Is that even a thing? Is that the founders? Is that the CEO? Is that senior marketing team? Early on, the founder has to be thinking about that. Like, what is the message here? And how do you get thoughtful and deliberate and strategic about how you're positioning the company? That often can come from the founder in a very authentic and meaningful way. I think over time and as you grow and you bring on a marketing leader, then it becomes this partnership with the founder and the CEO potentially and the marketing leader to continue to evolve this and define it. And then over time, I think you've built out a team of experts who really understand the brand and the vision and they can take it from there. So one quick question, and I'm sure a lot of the founders listening to this are interested. What are some of the marketing initiatives that Sneak took, which were very effective at Sneak? And potentially, if they've kind of changed, maybe what were some that were really effective in the early days versus now? When I joined Sneak, they had already had a freemium infrastructure in place, meaning developers could come and sign up for Sneak for free. And that, to me, is the best way, especially with a developer audience, to to build word of mouth and awareness. So th that was and has been a critical part of, of our marketing effort, our marketing focus. Another big piece of it is content. So again, creating really great content that people want to read. And again, with my background, it's B2B. So this has to be technical content. It has to be content that solves problems and offers solutions and is optimized for search. So I would say SEO and content is another big one early on that we invested in and continues to be really, um, really critical to our growth. As we matured and we started moving up market, I will say that 
our ABM programs kicked into gear in a meaningful way. And for us, that means really targeting the accounts that we want to go after and getting very personalized and specific around how we surround that account and engage them. So I think those are three that we started earlier and continue to be really big growth drivers for us. Awesome. Great. Well, without further ado, we'd love to uh, learn more about your presentation. Sure. Great. Thanks. So the way I thought about this was if I was a founder or if I was starting a new role as a VP of marketing, how would I approach it? What are some of the things that I've learned that I want to share about just how to get started and to lay that foundation? And knowing that many of you might be might be playing a CMO role in your free time, or you might be outsourcing a lot of these things and trying to figure out how to build them out. I just wanted to touch on the kind of the key areas that I think are, are really important to be thinking about now as a kind of in early days. So for messaging, I, I think this feels basic. It's of course, we need to focus on messaging, but I think it's harder than it seems. And there's a lot of people, a lot of needs, a lot of personas that you're trying to reach. And all of those things can be nuanced. So I think in the early days, really figuring out who is your primary persona, who are you really building your product for? And in that context, what's the value and why are you different? And nailing that and really getting clear on that because everything can fall from there. And you can start to create a consistent message and create a consistent brand versus being a little bit of everything to everybody just adds to the noise that's in the market. And we all know that there's a ton of noise. The other thing I would just point out here is what I found, especially in marketing to technical buyers, is you share your value prop, but the next question is always, well, how does it work? So again, if it's a technical audience, I think being able to really talk about how it works, why it's valuable, and not getting lost in the buzzwords and not getting lost in kind of all the words that you could possibly say about your product um, making people read page web pages of content is really just some best practices here. So having kind of your very crisp primary audience, primary buyer, primary persona, the value prop, and then like the technical description of really how it works and why it's different than everything else that's out there. You mind if we drill on this a bit for a second? No. So one thing you said was that this is hard, harder than it looks, right? Why is it so hard for people? What is it that trips people up about this? Yeah, well, I think at least in my experience, there's different people you're trying to reach and they have different needs and there's different messaging that will resonate with them. So you might be trying to reach a user like a developer. You might be trying to reach the buyer. You might be trying to reach the influencer in a sale. You can't do all of those things very well at once and you certainly can't do them in one homepage. I also think as early founders and early teams, like you're really excited about your product and you want to share everything that, that you're excited about. But that can be overwhelming to the person who's just trying to figure out what you do and why they might need it. So I think sometimes there's this like overwhelming amount of content or messaging that you have to kind of go back through and say, what really matters here? What's really different here? And how do I get it down to like half the content that I just wrote? And that's hard because you want people to understand all of the things that you're thinking about. It sounds like some of it is sort of empathy, right? In other words, empathy with the listener. Yeah. And I think yeah. we work with a lot of founders that they're great founders because they empathize with the problem, but yeah. they don't empathize with the fact that that person's also a customer who's being sold to and needs to like 
right? They need to step into that persona to be like, what yeah. are you trying to message to me? Would you mind, I don't know if you can, but would, would you mind illustrating with Sneak itself, like what were some marketing messages that fell flat for Sneak that didn't work and why didn't they work and how did you fix them? I don't know if I would necessarily say they fell flat. I think it's more of a challenge that we face. And I alluded to this, which is we have our primary user, which is the developer, and they historically don't really care too much about security. It's not really part, it's not historically part of what they do. And we also are trying to reach a security buyer who is making the decision, who has the budget, who is thinking about security, but might not realize that developers can play this role. These people are very different. They play very different roles and our value prop to them is very different. And yet what we're trying to say is we can bring this all together, make this easier for both of these teams. And we built the product for that. So again, my reference to the homepage, how do you talk to two personas and get really crisp on that? What I've learned is I think you always have to lean toward one or the other. So you have to kind of say, like I said at the beginning, you pick your primary persona and you message to them. And then you figure out what your message is to the others and go to the, through certain channels that you can reach them. So for example, our homepage is more oriented toward a developer, but we're going to talk to security people in other places. So we got a question that was related to that from Marav. She's a co-founder and CMO of a stealth startup in Israel. And she was wondering when you're messaging to developers, what was the pain that Sneak had identified when they started? And what was the initial messaging that targeted that pain? Yeah, so I think the pain is really around developers like to go fast. They want to create their applications. They want to deliver on time. They want to keep like building things. And security, historically, isn't a fast part of this and isn't a fast step in the process. Security can be slow. It can kind of put blockers in place for good reason. So that conflict is one that we have been solving for, which is to say you can go fast and be secure. And so that is the messaging that we tried to convey, which is we know you don't want to do this. We know it's slowing you down. We know this is kind of a hassle. We've fixed it and we've built for that. And that is why we, you know, have this differentiated offer that is a developer first approach to security. And that's part of what was different in our positioning from early days. So the next one I wanted to talk about is around product-led growth and giving your product away for free. I've been lucky to work in a couple of companies now where there was a freemium model. So you come to the website, you sign up for free for a free trial or a free account forever. And I think this is a really important part of your early investment because as I think we all know at this stage, buyers are doing most of their research before they talk to anybody, uh, before they interact with marketing and sales. So you want your product experience to be part of their research. You want them to find it and start using it and have that influence their interest in moving forward with you. So I think the message here is that there's so much goodness that can come from a free product offer, but you have to build your product for that. You have to build your business and your KPIs for that. And it all takes time. And I think, again, if you have the right audience and the right product for this type of model, go for it and make it awesome. Really spend the time there to get it great because this will become its own marketing engine. And that, I mean, that's literally why it's called product-led growth because if you do it right, this is a whole channel for growth 
that can run on its own over time. How do you guys manage that interaction between marketing people and product people? About a year ago, we actually invested in a cross-functional, in the structure of a cross-functional team um, where we brought together marketing leaders, engineering leaders, and product leaders and built teams under them focused on product-led growth. So they have team meetings, they have team plans, they have team KPIs where everybody is in that together because we realized that it can't be one team asking another team to help them do this thing. This has to be a fully integrated approach because all three groups are so critical to doing it right. I think that's happening broadly. Is that a trend that you see in other companies as well? I think it takes people a while to realize that it has to work this way. And it might be hard to do early days because you're still building the basics, both in, in all three groups, right? You still have to build the features to sell. You still have to start the marketing engine. But the earlier you can do this, the better. Because then the whole culture of the, of the organization, the whole way of working will be centered around growth and this kind of integrated approach across all of the teams that need to be part of it. So we, we have a question now from Zivid Katz, who's the VP marketing at Ziggy, which is one of our portfolio companies. Hey. Okay. So Willie, nice to meet you. I'm uh, very excited to hear you. Because you just talked about the self-onboarding solution that you had early on and now about leading with the product, I wanted to ask about early days when you just released the self-onboarding uh, solution and the free new map plan. How you were able to convince early adopters with their most um, valuable data, like once they, they had the sales onboarding, how did you show them immediate value within the product? How did you choose like what to show them, what kind of code they used to, to deploy, to see the, like what was the reaction? Can you talk a bit about this? I can a little bit. They definitely built this in and made some of these decisions before <laughs> I joined. I think part of the thing to keep in mind is people aren't going to want to give you their data. So if you can architect the offer or the free experience to kind of, and this is what we did was like, look at the data, but not necessarily have them upload it. I think that can be a hurdle. And in some cases, maybe it's more of a, a sample experience too. If it's sensitive data, I think also creating like this live demo environment might be an alternative where it's like you log in, and the whole thing is happening and everybody can see it. And it's still like a free in-product experience. It just might not be your data that they're looking at. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I guess, but it's from the product side. I'm also uh, interested about the marketing side. How are you able to take all those uh, uncertainties and scary moments from signing up to, to sneak and putting your company's code into to the onboarding process. So how did you approach that marketing-wise? Yeah, so I think what I'm trying to clarify is we didn't ask them to put their code into our product. So we didn't have to actually tackle that one. I think part of it is addressing the concern upfront. I think this is also where you can do some experimentation, some testing around like what is the right message or what is the right way to gauge the comfort level with with some of the things that you might have to do to get those trials or those free accounts going. Okay, great. Thank you. This one is, is, is a basic one, and yet it's super important. So start measuring like as early as possible. Even if your numbers are low, 
I think it's really important to establish your baseline, right? You can't talk about growth if you're not measuring it from a baseline of something. And over time, this is what's going to help you tell your story to investors in board meetings, to your audiences, which is like, what is working? And if you don't have the data, you can't really tell a story about what is working in marketing and what is not working in marketing. And I just simply would say this drop here, whatever quarter that was where it dropped, like that's the most interesting thing on the graph to me, which is what happened? What what changed that led to that? And then how did you come out of it? And so by measuring from the beginning, having the right tools in place and the right people on your team to make this easy is really important. And I think sometimes it's put on a back burner in the hiring process. And I would encourage to get a person who's focused on operations, focused on data analytics into the marketing organization as early as you can. More and more, this is just so important to how you make decisions and how you kind of understand what's going on across the team. I wanted to include this one. I've referenced it a few times because content definitely is king. We all know that, but it takes time. And so one thing that I've done over a few different companies is get a content engine going from the beginning because the the SEO piece takes time, the actual creation of content takes time. And it's easier, I think, said than done to do it well. And one thing that I always think about is who can be the content creators? It doesn't have to be just the founder or just the content marketer. You can get really creative. And one thing I did a couple companies back where we were trying to engage you know, engineers and DevOps was I had the engineering team writing blog posts and it was actually part of their, their sprint plan. So every two weeks, the engineering team would deliver a blog to marketing in the voice and on a topic that was relevant to the audience that I was trying to get to. Because in tech, nobody wants to hear from me. Nobody wants to hear from marketing, right? We want to hear from our technical peers. We want to hear from thought leaders who are doing the same thing and solving the same problems. So who are the voices that you can tap into that help to tell a story that has the kind of authenticity and technical depth that will resonate with your audience? And that includes customers or users? Can you do a Q&A with them and go straight it? Who can you get to create content for you that has the persona that you're trying to reach? But mostly here, it takes time and coordination. And this is one where you want someone on your team who's like, I wake up every day thinking about how I'm going to produce content, great content on a regular basis. Is that always dedicated people or is that recruiting actual engineers from sneak engineering to go write stuff? Well, for us today, it's both. So we have a DevRel team creating content and they are former engineers, they're former developers, but their job now is to write content for us. We also partner with our engineers today. We say, you're working on a cool thing. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to speak about it? Do you want to write about it? And we'll help you. We'll, we'll give you some, we'll edit it for you and we'll make it as easy as possible. Just please like put all your goodness down and then we will take it and run with it. And I, I don't know how much you can say about this, but I think one of the things that was really impressive about Sneak was that the founders, a guy in particular, but all the founders were very visible and and very vocal and visible exponents of the paradigm shift that Sneak represented. How critical has that been? And, and what's your advice to, to founders about building their own brand in that way? I think it's so powerful. Guy is amazing and is truly the visionary of, of this journey that we're on. He does want to share it and he doesn't want to write about it and talk about it. 
I think if you're, if you want to be out in front, that is a great asset for the marketing team. Because again, similar to DevRel, it's the technical leader, it's a technical thought leader or peer who is going to engage and attract a technical audience. So having that person out in front talking about their vision and the problems that they're building for, not the product as the solution, but why did you create this? What are you trying to solve for? How can we help you do that at your company is the message. That's great. If, if it's a founder who doesn't want to be out on the stage, right? It's marketing's job to do one-on-ones, get it out of them, get that vision, get the content, and then create the content around it. And you can still publish it under their name. You can still get it out there into the market without the founder necessarily having to be the one that's delivering it. You think that work, sneak be sneak without guys persona. In other words, you think of the big companies that, that Stripe or Sneak or others, they, they, there's usually a founder that represents that that company and has a persona, can it work? Do you really think it can work without that? Do you really think a founder who wants to build this kind of company can get away with sort of professionalizing the effort and not being out there themselves? I think you can, but I think part of the reason Stink's brand is so strong is because Guy founded it and we've been able to, to maintain all the good things about it at scale. I, I wouldn't want to say that somebody who doesn't have that kind of unique person on the team can't do it. But as you think about your brand, as you think about being differentiated, you have to go back to the beginning and get that nugget of inspiration and vision wherever it came from. It might be the founder. It could be something else. But like you have to capture that and grow it. We're lucky that we have that had that, right? Like I said, but I don't think it can't be done if you don't have somebody who's as visible as someone like that. And the last one, which we've been talking around a lot, which is your first marketing hires. I think you need somebody who can be a player coach, who will roll up their sleeves and dive in. And so I think having a CMO as your very first hire is tricky because that might not be the profile that you need to get things done. I think somebody who has some area of expertise, but does not need to be a specialist as a great profile for a first hire and who can manage a team of specialists. So can you get that generalist director and who might be able to manage content, but manages a team of specialists? And the specialists would be, maybe it's a developer advocate, maybe it's your SEO person, maybe it's your designer, which I also would say, I encourage an early first hire in design because no matter what you're doing in marketing, it has to look good. Everything is visual today. Design is so important. Your website page is so important to your marketing strategy. So your specialist might be a designer. It might be an operations person. And I think as long as you have a generalist kind of running that group, you have the, the freedom to then say, what's your lineup of prioritized specialists that you want to hire to execute against? Different areas that take a technical background. So not every marketer generalist is going to be able to run a marketing automation system. I mean, they might be able to, but not necessarily. So there's certain things that I consider specialist and technical and other things that I think can be picked up. Event marketing can probably be picked up and executed by your leader for the first couple of years until you're ready to bring on a dedicated event marketer. The other thing I would emphasize is I think your early hires really have to know and understand sales. The partnership that starts 
with between sales and marketing early is the is really going to set the stage for that relationship and that integration and that that kind of ability to grow together. Somebody who already understands that is going to make things a lot easier. And back to the measurement point, you can bring in a, a, an expert who can run the systems for you, pull the data out and give you the insights. It's going to be easier and faster. And again, I think this is one that sometimes it's like, oh, we'll figure that out. But actually, that would be one of my first hires if I were to start over. Great. So we had a question from Roy Renani, and he actually, based off what you were just talking about, it's quite relevant to to what you were saying. So I thought it'd be a good time to bring him on. He is the president and co-founder of Chorus.ai. He also did one of our Angular Insight sessions in the past. So Roy, thank you for having done that. Thank you for for joining again. Great. Hey, everybody. Uh, Hi, Leigh. That was really interesting. So I'm always curious when I have an opportunity to ask somebody like you a question about how do you find, how do you evaluate a marketer in an interview process? Because in in my experience, the first marketing leader is one of the hardest roles to hire for. Yeah. And there's such a big difference between somebody who just deeply understands the space and the problem and the customer versus somebody who might just be in general, a great marketing leader. And so I'm curious if you were running an interview process to figure out if somebody is a great marketer and is a great marketer for a particular company, how would you approach that process? And what sorts of things might indicate to you that somebody is a world-class marketer versus a great marketer? It's a really good question. I think having familiarity with your audience is one of the first things that I would be looking for. It doesn't mean they have to be super technical themselves, but to have marketed to the audience before, they know the nuances of that persona. They know the channels to reach them. They've done it themselves, hands-on is important. I think that just skips over a really steep learning curve. For example, if you're coming from a consumer product into, into business or vice versa, in my case, somebody who has marketed to developers or marketed to security for me is at top of the list by default. I think the second piece is having some area of, of expertise that they can bring to the table. So kind of like I said before, like the player coach concept or somebody who runs a team but also does content on the side or runs a team and also does events on the side, they have to play a role. And in my case, I've, I've considered myself an IC for many, many years until recently when the team gets as big as it is. But early days, it was like I was editing blogs and also managing a team. I was doing all that. So somebody who has the mentality that that's part of the role, that everybody pitches in, wears a bunch of hats. And then I think beyond the skill set, I'm looking for people who have a sense of urgency and are problem solvers. So somebody who gets really excited about making an impact every day and has that sense of urgency around like, how can marketing, what are we going to build today? What are we going to build? What are we going to execute on? What are we going to learn? And brings that energy to the team, regardless of what their skill set is, because that's more about the stage of the company and really like building the right culture for the marketing team. And then somebody who also might not be an expert in everything, but still can help the team figure out an answer. So solving problems with sales, solving problems with customers and can think about it and get to a solution without necessarily even having 
that background, which you which would be hard to to interview for. So I interviewed more for that trait and that that approach. Awesome. We now have a question from Joanna. She is the director of product at Cylon and she is based in London. Hello everyone. Hi Lee. It's very nice to hear your your thoughts, especially at the very early stage of growing marketing team. So I have a question about something that I think you indirectly mentioned in the question that Roy had about that mindset of of sort of people that want to have stuff done. Like how do you, if you were to sort of give an advice on early experimentation in marketing at that early stages where you kind of have to try everything to see what sticks, do you have any sort of shortcuts to, if you were to do the early sort of test to things that might work, what would be your first top five things that you would test in in marketing um, strategies? I think experimentation is is really important. And I tend to go to the website first. I mean, that's just where my head goes. Because again, as I mentioned, like I think the website is the number one marketing tool that we all have. It's part of the research process. People are going there as soon as they see a headline or a blog post or a tweet, they're going to come probably check out your website. So what are you doing there? And so that is where I would would be running a lot of my tests early days. I think that message above the fold, again, it's it's so important. It's that first impression. It's that first 10 seconds to introduce the brand, the value of the message that we talked about earlier and to get them to want more and go further into the site. So that hero, the color, the look and feel, the messaging, I would test that. The other key areas that we've been focused on always is around conversion off the website. So what are you trying to get them to do? What do you want them to do to move forward in their buying process and from the site? And then what is the best way to get them to do that? That takes a lot of experimentation and a lot of kind of ongoing effort to continue to improve that and to see it fail multiple times. If I flip over to the product side, I think there is a whole spectrum of experimentation that can go on in the product if you do have a product-led approach around that has to be database around how to move them through that process to get to the value early. So what is the thing that's going to get that aha moment? How do you test against that? But I will say before experimenting, I think there has to be a really strong foundation in place. So I think let's use the homepage again. Make sure that homepage is is got everything you want on it. You think you're putting your best foot forward and experiment against that. But to experiment in something that isn't stable or isn't as good as you want it to be is not necessarily going to lead to anything. That makes sense. Thank you so much. Next next question is from Yotam Azriel in Israel, who's the co-founder and CTO of TensorLe, which is a company that's building very advanced systems for making it really easy to be able to build deep neural nets. So... Just if you could, just to dive in a little more uh, about the metrics recommending to very early stage uh, startups to measure and maybe some name dropping of the tools that uh, you're using in Snack today. Like the metrics, the KPIs? Yeah. The marketing uh, pipeline. And are, yeah. I think he's also asking, are there, are there any tools that you would recommend? Like what's the stack that you would suggest people explore? Yeah. So, I mean, early days, uh, we started with HubSpot and I think it's a great 
first marketing automation system. It's super accessible and you don't need to be an expert to use it. In our experience, we definitely hit a ceiling there. And as the sales team grew, it was not the right tool for us. So we moved on to Marketo. If you have someone on your team who can run Marketo, I would just start there. But I, I do think it is a dedicated, it's, it's a dedicated person. Put it this way, I could jump in on HubSpot and do a million things. I can jump in at Marketo and do a couple things. So you want somebody who really can run that tool for you. And I think between Salesforce and Marketo or Salesforce and, and another marketing automation, you have a ton of data at your fingertips. But it depends, again, what you want to measure. Some of the metrics, I, I go back to the funnel naturally. So at the top of the funnel, awareness, how are you measuring? And again, it, it's oftentimes through website visits, the inbound traffic, all the way through engagement to conversion, sorry, to acquisition. But conversion is one of those metrics that I think is really important to reflect the health of your funnel. So you're looking at the absolute numbers, but the conversion rate between each of these stages is going to tell you how healthy it is. So if you have a thousand visitors to your website and you convert 10 of them, that conversion rate is really poor versus a hundred. And in like then a week later, it's, it's the conversion rates going up or down. And then you can say, why, what changed? What do we do differently? And, and all of the analysis can fall from that. So it's hard to give really specific KPIs it, it, without diving really deep into the stages of our sales process, which I can't do that if that's what you're looking for. But early on, I'd say pick three to five key metrics that are meaningful to growth in your business. And just start there. I think measuring all of the, the excessive metrics around other things can, can sometimes be really distracting and spread the team's focus out too much. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it makes sense. Thanks. So up next, we are going to be joined by Gary. He is the co-founder and CEO of Kinship, and he is based in Hong Kong. So Gary, thank you for uh, joining. So I'm assuming it's quite late for you. So so thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's almost midnight here, but just kind of part, oh. part of the, the, the deal working over here. So yeah, thanks, Lee, for a great presentation. Really interested by all the stuff about your first hire. That's the puzzle that I'm, I'm facing currently. But my question is actually about something different, which is how important existing customers are for your marketing engine at Sneak and in the sense of like turning them into evangelists and sources of, of referrals. And if they are like, what strategies or methods do you use to target them specifically? And maybe also like track who comes from other customers because we're in the construction industry and we find that existing, it, it's an industry with a lot of turnover. People move companies a lot and yep. they rely on peer recommendations a lot. And I don't know, but I'm guessing the developer community is is like that as well. So just yeah. curious how you Definitely. guys approach that. It's super important. And it's something that I always took on early days as an early leader. I would reach out to the customers directly, obviously, in coordination with sales, but and try to establish a relationship myself so that I had access to them directly. And I think as much as you can develop a relationship, in position, sorry, this is in the context of of getting them to be advocates or evangelists for you, but or or right. participate in your webinar or or write a blog post for you. I always positioned it as we want to tell your story and we want to show your market 
or your industry, your leadership in using a solution like ours. So for example, talking to a a customer and saying, this is the modern approach to to security. Like we want to help you evangelize us and we will evangelize you as a leader in your space. And then we will tweet about your leadership and what you did with the product. And so trying to position it really as like a joint, jointly positive joint marketing opportunity for the individual to build their own personal brand using the platform uh, that we have was the, was very successful. I think we have built out kind of the warm referral programs in the past where there's incentives. If you refer someone to us or make a warm intro through email and they get to a certain stage, you get X. So just trying to put like some perks in there along the way to incentivize people to just send that email to their friend to create the warm intro, which goes a long way. At Sneak today, we have an ambassador program, which is where we have found users of the product who really love it and genuinely, you know, genuinely want to partner with us to become ambassadors. And in those cases, again, we're kind of putting them out there, finding speaking events for them, creating content opportunities for them and treating them as very important people in this neat community. And that benefits them as well as they're building out their own kind of their own brand. So there's a lot of ways to do it. But number one message here is it's it's really important. I, I don't think I don't think there are better marketers out there than your existing customers. So the ways that you build those communities and relationships is worth the investment. And and I think you have to make the asks too. Like, will you write a blog for us for us next week? Will you make an intro? Because they're not going to necessarily just do it on their own. Great. Thank, thanks a lot. That's super helpful. Amazing. Up next, we're going to be joined by Anthony. Anthony is the CEO of Matterway and he's based in Berlin. Hi there. Thanks so much. So from our experience, we sort of have this topic of messaging and strategic narrative as a very central one. And it's definitely a very hard one to crack. And I was wondering whether you think that the first marketing hires should come after this is sort of solid or whether they should actually be the ones that could have shaped this together with this with the founders and maybe the early go-to-market team? I think that early strategic messaging is going to come from the founder and the CEO. I think it goes back to what we're talking about a little bit, which is there is a really genuine and distinctive vision that a founder has. And capturing that should be at the core to the strategic messaging. I don't think hiring somebody from the outside is going to come in and necessarily figure all of that out on their own, but they might enable it, right? So sitting with the founder, asking the questions, doing the brainstorming around all of this, it's always great to have a marketer in the room. But I do think that early vision, that early message should start with, with the founding vision um, and value to the market. I think you can do it before or after the higher, but I think the marketing person should be the one that grabs it, starts to really create a framework around it and starts to fuel other types of content and channels with the same message. I see. Maybe just to make it a little bit clearer, we find that once there is a strategic message, you still need, there's a lot of work required to put this into the words and into the context, let's say the day-to-day context that our customers actually live this yep. translation, uh, yeah, okay. So it applies to that as well, I guess. Yes, I think, then I think you do need a marketer because I think... Uh, I see, that's it, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Break it down. When are you going to use this message? How do you use this message? Um, and how do you translate the message? Again, like we talked about earlier, into like much fluffier yeah. words that are very, very 
hard hitting. Thanks so much. Amazing. Jose, you have the floor. First of all, thank you very much, Lee. I love what you guys are doing at Sneak. And this is really, really helpful, especially like for an early stage founder. This is gold. (laughs) What I wanted to ask you regarding this thing that you mentioned during your presentation. So when you're talking about that, you've got different, two different types of personas, like the engineer and the security in our case, it's really similar. So we've got like the engineers or the site reliability engineers and the executives that make the decisions to buy. My question there is like, you said that the messaging should be focused on one. And when you say the messaging, are you talking about like the landing page and the content that you write? So for example, if you write content blogs and things like that, should you only write for the buyer persona, for example? No, no, I think you can do both. So I, 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 that might've been a little confusing. I think you need to start off with your core messaging for one primary audience, but I think that there are channels where you'll get to your buyer. If your homepage and your blog are for your user, for the site reliability engineer, like focus that. And those are the channels you're going to use to get to them. And you're going to push that out. But you might have an email newsletter or an online forum or a whole part of your website dedicated to the executive. Landing pages dedicated to the executive where you're speaking to them. The call to action is appropriate for them. The benefits highlighted are for them so that the different marketing programs and different work streams can point to different places. But the hard part is kind of those universal places like your homepage where I'm saying lean toward one or the other, but it doesn't mean ignore the other, the secondary persona completely. Okay. And just to touch on that point, so what have you found to work better? So do you, have you found that work targeting the developer works better than the security, for example? Well, I think what we found is that because this is new in the market and the developers are so important to to a lot of companies right now, having them use the product and love the product is creating kind of what the bottom up, that groundswell from the bottom, meaning from these developers who are asking for the product or who are going to security and saying, we want this, or security brings it in and the developers already know about it because they've heard about it through a developer marketing approach. So I do think having in any industry, if you get the users using your product, it's going to influence the buyer. That's not just in dev tooling, right? It's wherever you can kind of that, get that groundswell of interest and usage to influence up is a huge opportunity. And that is why we are focused on the developer. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think the mark of a great guest is that Anne and I don't have to do that much work. <laughs> we had people dialing in at midnight from Hong Kong. I think, you know, I don't need to say anything more. So first of all, anytime you want to grace us with your presence again, we would love to have you. I'm, I'm sure you only scratched the surface of the questions that the community That's great. Found yeah, really good questions. Has, has Thank you. you. I wanted to close out with one, one quick question. I, I know we're running late on time, but you, because we engage with companies so early, I, I typically find myself struggling between two extremes, right? Are these marketing challenges for early companies the whole reason it's an, a new company is that no one had ever done what Sneak was doing before. They had to reinvent, they had to engineer that marketing motion and that whole go-to-market and the message. And it's very Sneak-specific in many ways. On the other hand, there's this huge pile of tools and wisdom and truisms and dynamics that you can draw on from other companies. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm curious how you approach the balance of innovation and just executing on a set plan that you can pull off the shelf from some other place and get it to work. 
How do you think about the balance of those two things in your own work and as you're coaching your more junior people to approach these things? I mean, I think there's just some basics that have to be in place. We touched on some of them today. Another one would just be like, how are you getting people to your website? Are you doing PR? Are you hosting webinars? Are you going to events? Like events, webinars, and PR, right? Those are just like traditional things that like everyone should do some of. Um, So don't reinvent the wheel there or whatever the modern version of those things are, social media and other things. But what I always say is that this company has never been selling this product to this audience at this time. So the mix of the things that are going to work there are going to be unique to what your team is building. You have to have your foundation. You have to be trying things. And then over time, the things that work and carry on long-term. And that's where we're getting to today. We're after three years, we've tried a lot and we did borrow from, from things that are proven and known. We tried some things and those gone away. And now we're starting to say, okay, this engine is, is humming. And now how do we make it grow from here? Which is this whole other growth phase that we're approaching. So I think it's a mix, but there's no way you pull a playbook off a shelf from your last company and replicate it. You might just take p- pieces of it and test it. And I, I think that that goes for advisors as well. I mean, founders who think that, oh, I've got this marketing person from this other company and she or he is going to tell me what to do. Like, no, they're, they're not. They don't know what you should do, right? That there's, they can tell you what worked for them and help you understand what's happening. Right. Yeah. So again, thank you so much, Leaf. And I, I also want to thank Anne. We started this year with, with no guests scheduled and no podcast and no videos and no nothing. And it's all beautiful and perfect and working smoothly. And thank you so much, Anne, for all the work you do to make this stuff happen very easily and consistently. Thank you. Yeah. And Lee, thank you so much for joining. This is an amazing session. Great way to end out our season for the year. So we will be off for the rest of December. We will be kicking back off in 2022 in January with Oren Canel, the CEO of AppSlyer. So definitely join us there. If you miss us during the break, you can catch all of our past Angular Insights episodes on YouTube and on our new podcast. Happy holidays and see you next year.